tonight. It is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday, if not every month, then maybe every other month, um, I try to have someone up here to share their story with us. The idea came from Grace Gumbo, which, so the panel runs for the next two weeks on Wednesday nights, and then Gumbo starts again. Uh, basically, it's like a talk show Jim Umloff leads. They interview some church members, and then there's a little Bible study afterward. But when we first came to Grace, that was kind of the first thing that we really got plugged in through was Grace Gumbo. And so we just loved it and got to know people. And uh, out of that, I thought, well, we could do that in our class. And I think it's proven to be a great way for us to get to know one another as well. So there's a plug for Gumbo uh, starting in a couple weeks. Make Wednesday nights a priority this summer. You know, hearing one another's stories is a great way not only to get to know one another, but I think to better get to know God because He is the author of all of our stories and, again, to better uh, strengthen our community. So this go-round, Molly Pierce is on the hot seat. Molly, you can come on up. How about a hand for Molly? All right, all right. Uh, a little bit about her. Molly's been going to Grace since it started a long time ago. You were in first grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went to high school at Germantown mm-hmm. College, MTSU. Works as a child life specialist at Labonner and has done that since she left MTSU. Her parents are Fred and Donna. You may remember Donna spoke in here a few weeks ago uh, about <coughs> parenting. And her brother's Andy. Raise your hand. Sister-in-law. Uh, Aaron. They also have another sister, Amanda. All right, let's jump in. Why don't you start by telling us how you came to know the Lord? Um, well, I, um, like Chris said, I grew up in Grace, um, started when I was in first grade. My parents were believers, um, so never really knew a time without hearing the gospel, um, at all. Um, but it probably, it wasn't until I think I was 11 when it really first kind of connected in my heart and my mind and everything all at once where I, I think finally I, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, so what happened when you were 11? So my family and I were at a um, family uh, young life camp. Um, and Can y'all hear? We good? Okay. Yes. All right. Talk, yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Um, and um, <clears throat> there's a guy giving his testimony, and uh, I don't. I really have no idea what he said in his testimony. I remember him talking about a broken relationship with his dad, but other than that, I don't really remember much of anything. And uh, when he was done, he was praying, and he was just thanking the Lord for being his father um, in the image of the perfect father when his relationship with his father was so broken. And that was just kind of, I think, the first time when I went, oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay, that makes sense. Right. Um, and so I think just after that is when I started to really grow um, in the Lord and in the gospel um, and then grew up here in the youth group. And so I'd say grace is really where I got a huge foundation for mm-hmm. where um, for the gospel and my theology and mm-hmm. all of that. Now, so you were 11 when that happened, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of times we think that, you know, the Christian life is going to be easier than it is. Um, I don't know, sign up for Jesus and uh, he'll make your life better, you know, and that's not always the case. Certainly it gets better in a number of ways, but it's, he even said it's, perhaps harder uh, in a number of other ways. But you were 11 at that time, and then at 12, uh, he put you through a major trial. So why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? 
So <clears throat> when I was 12 was when my hair started falling out for the first time. Um, and I am 32 now and I've never had a full head of hair since. Um, and so I was diagnosed with something called alopecia, which is just an autoimmune disease that makes your hair fall out. Um, and so, let's see. So it fell out for the first time. And then between, I guess when I was between the ages of 12 and about 17, we just fought it and fought it and fought it. Every medicine you could think of, every doctor my parents could think to take me to you, um, my doctor would call and say, hey, I invented a new medicine for you. Come be my guinea pig. Let's try it out. Um, and you, it was kind of just a cycle of sort of chasing our tails. So you can stimulate hair growth with certain medications, but it doesn't prevent it from falling out. There's not a cure for it. So um, it would be this kind of like, yay, it's growing back over here, and then, oh, but it's falling out over here. So it was just sort of a, an emotional roller coaster of just the... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, always trying to fight it and mm-hmm. getting excited and then kind of having your... You said your Lord, the Lord was teaching about prayer during that time. And mm-hmm. you said there's times... I mean, I can only imagine. <coughs> well, why don't you tell us what that's like for a 12-year-old girl or a 14-year-old girl? Yeah. Um, it, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think at the time you kind of think that nothing... Maybe nothing worse could ever happen, which is very, very far from the truth, obviously. But when you're 12... I mean, pain is relative. So for a 12-year-old, that's probably one of the hardest things that, you know, you could, I, I don't know, go through in a 12-year-old's mind. Um, and it just came <clears throat> with lots of fears of, am I going to have friends? Um, is the wind going to blow and going to part my hair in a way where somebody could see it and find out and make fun of me? Um, are people going to think I'm weird? Just lots and lots of different fears that came from that. But like Chris said, um, the Lord was really teaching me at a young age about prayer and what that looks like and what it looks like for believers to come around you and love you through that. And so there are so many people from this church, I think, that were praying for me and lots of different people prayed lots of different things. So uh, lots of people prayed just for complete healing. And and I loved that they were praying for that. I wanted them to pray for that. Um, But other people were praying that the Lord would um, come for me. Other people were praying that the Lord would draw me close to him. Um, I think other people were praying just for friends to love me well through it. Um, and so I think that's when I really started to kind of learn about prayer and what that looked like and to have other people praying for you. Do you think that going through that has shaped the way that you uh, care for people or try to care for people in their struggle and suffering? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it probably shapes the way, even like with my job, which I guess we'll get to in a little yeah. bit, but um, how I ask questions, <clears throat> how maybe how deep I dig with questions and people and their pain and that kind of thing, whether it's in my friendships or um, at work, just because I think I wanted to be loved well through it and I wanted people to dig a little bit deeper with me rather than just kind of like, oh, hey, like it's right. okay, you're going to be fine. <clears throat> I love when people ask me sort of the harder questions um, about really kind of like what my heart was going through and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the Lord has graciously used that maybe, hopefully, in how I love people. Yeah. Not always perfectly by any means. But. So you wore a wig for a while, mm-hmm. um, and then you decided to stop wearing a wig. <coughs> so do you want to tell us about that? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I guess about the time I was 17, so between when I was 12 and 17, when we were fighting it really hard, um, it was all, I always had enough hair where my own hair could just uh, naturally cover up the bald spots, but it just kind of continually kept getting worse. And so when, sometime during my junior year of high school, my mom 
and or I guess my parents started to realize like we're getting closer to needing to start talking about getting a wig and I knew that that was also true <clears throat> but it was kind of if you say it out loud it becomes a reality so I think we all maybe avoided it for a little bit longer maybe than we needed to and then one day my mom said <clears throat> we need to really start thinking about it I said I know so at that point we did um, so between my junior and senior year of high school was when I f- first got a wig um, and I wore that I guess maybe four years. I stopped wearing it about three days before my junior year of college. You got to tell so. us why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, even when you have a wig that is made specifically for your head, it's molded for your head, human hair, all of those things, after about a year it wears out. And so um, every summer I'd have to get a new wig. So that summer... Yeah, that summer when I was at home, I kind of got into the habit of sometimes I would wear it, sometimes I wouldn't wear it. Um, and I was pretty comfortable with that. For some reason, I always wore it here. I never wanted to not wear it at church. But when I was um, out with my friends and that kind of thing, I would go out with them one night and I would have it on. I'd go out with them the next night. I wouldn't have it on. They were all great with that. Um, and then when I got my wig that summer, I put it on long enough for the lady to like cut it, style it, all that. And then I took it off. And when I did wear my wig the rest of that summer, it was my old wig. So about three days before classes started, my junior year of college, um, I put it, I was like, oh, I need to probably get it out, wash it, get it ready for, you know, going to class and stuff. And I just moved in with my best friend at the time. And I was in my room and she was in her room. I put it on and all of a sudden I said, oh my gosh. She said, what? And I said, it doesn't fit. And she goes, oh, you're so dramatic, come here. <laughs> Which I've never known to be dramatic before, so you know. Um, and so I went in a room, and she goes, doesn't fit. And I'm like, right, I know. I told you, and I said, what am I going to do? And I was just, I mean, my mom's three and a half hours from me. It takes at least six weeks if you put a rush order on a wig. Like Class starts in three days. Class starts in three days. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And I think she was honestly probably as scared as I was in the moment, but she never, ever showed it. She said... This is what you've been wanting to do. This is what you've been trying to figure out. And you're just going to go bald. And you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the kindest thing she could have ever said to me. Because I know, looking back, that she was probably every bit as scared as I was for me to have to do that. Um, but she never wavered. And she never showed me her fear. Which was very kind. And so I said, okay, you're right. But I should really call my mom and check with her. <laughs> so I called my mom. <laughs> And she said the exact same thing, and she was probably every bit as scared as I was, maybe even scared for me. And she felt helpless because she was so far away, and there was nothing she could do. And she said, baby, you're going to be fine. Like, you're going to do it, and you're going to be okay. And so um, first day of class, walked on the campus with my best friend, and we got to the point where she had to go right, and I had to go left. And I was, like, clinging to her arm, and I was like, I couldn't let go. And she's like, okay, I had to go this way now. And I was like, please, no. <laughs> um, but she did, and I made it through, and... At the end of the day, I was like, okay, I did it. I'm good. I did it. And then all of a sudden, I was like, Tuesday, Thursday class. got to do it again. (laughs) But after that, I did it, and everything was fine, and never looked back. You said, I mean, you talk a lot about God's grace, and you're really okay Mm -hmm. with not having hair. Mm -hmm. And so that happened pretty soon after (coughs) Tuesday class. It did. Um... And, I mean, I would say that my confidence, you know, probably grew. It 
it was an immediate relief, I think, like we talked about the other day. Um, but I think my confidence over the next couple years grew. And now I really I don't think about it very often. Um, as I laugh. Sometimes I'll be, like, out at Target and catch myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, God, I'm bald. That's weird. <laughs> like, I, I think about it that little, um, except to maybe, like, make jokes about it. But, like, other than that, it's just I, I don't think about it a whole lot. And um, I guess by the world standards, I should – really be very concerned about the fact that I walk around with no hair and everybody wonders why and everybody kind of looks and um but God has just graciously given me the confidence to do that and I know that that's not my own confidence at at all because other than that I should just be probably very very self-conscious about it but um well I think there's a lot for us to learn in that I mean whatever our um afflictions are whether it's a, a physical struggle or a mental struggle um, a relationship that won't go away or won't change you know a, uh, job situation and we can pray and many people were praying for you for healing I mean we can pray for that situation to change and there's really nothing wrong with that but I think maybe the bigger prayer ought to be for God to change us in the midst of that um, that we might find true peace in Him and true contentment in Him in whatever season. Because the reality is a lot of times those things don't ever change to um, you know, the way that we had desired or, or hoped. But it's, a great, it's been a great encouragement to me. Um, you have to tell us a story about summer conference. <laughs> so uh, in college I was really involved in RUF, which is a campus ministry. And at the uh, end of the school year, every year, there's a big, um, like, beach retreat, I guess, with about a thousand college kids in Panama City. So there's maybe 25 people or so from MTSU that win. And um, so there's a way to put your wig on to where it's waterproof, it won't come off if you're swimming. But I was just feeling particularly lazy that morning and decided that it would be fine and my wig was for sure not going to come off, like, and whatever. So, no, definitely not in the waves. Um, So, we were all sitting on the beach, all like, I guess everybody from MTSU, we all went out, ended up going out in the water. So, we all started play fighting, and Graham Stoner, who was the cutest guy in all of our UF, he was a senior, I was a freshman. He put me in a headlock. (laughs) Just to preface it, by the way, there was. All the girls knew because we were staying in a room together. None of the guys knew except for one because I dated him earlier in the year and told him and another guy because if you date a bald girl, you got to tell your buddy that your girlfriend's bald. So, um, so, none of the, so none of the guys knew. All the girls knew. So he puts me in a headlock, and as soon as he does, it pops off. And I'm under the water. Nobody can see it. And I'm like, but it's impossible. You can't get it on underwater. So I grab it in one hand, and he picks me up, and he goes, <laughs> And, I mean, it felt like a solid minute before either of us said anything, Uh and all the girls were just about to, like, cry because they felt so bad for me, and all the guys were just like, what is going on? (laughs) So, um, anyway, after I don't know how long, finally I spit something out of my mouth about, uh, you didn't do it, it's not your fault, I don't... uh, uh, uh." (laughs) So, anyway, that's probably my favorite. There's a lot of really good wig stories that go along with you know but that's probably my my very favorite one (laughs) we laughed for years about that one every time I ran into him after that he he would be like can you remember yeah I remember him (laughs) he said that was funny I'm like yeah that was real funny (laughs) oh my gosh 
trying to catch my breath. Um, <laughs> so, child life specialist at Le Bonheur, what, yeah. what do you do? <coughs> so, the general uh, kind of thing is help patients and families to cope with the stress of being in the hospital. But if you sort of narrow that down a little bit, we do lots of um, putting everything into kid language, so making sure that kids understand everything from their diagnosis to procedures. Um, to what the doctors are talking about, all of those kinds of things. So whether they're four years old or 12 years old, putting that into their language. Um, emotional support for the families because you can imagine having a child in the hospital is a lot of times maybe even more stressful for the parents than it is for the child sometimes, depending on what's going on. Um, so emotional support for them, sibling support um, to help siblings understand what's going on, um, distractions after procedures, new diagnosis teaching. So I work with them. Kids with cardiac conditions, so most of my kids in that unit are going um, into open heart surgery. Um, so maybe explain those kinds of things, and also the neuro ICU. So I work with a lot of kids with um, newly diagnosed brain tumors. So helping parents to figure out how do I tell my child this information? How do I tell my other kids? Um, how do I help them to process it? How to help make sure they are comfortable asking questions and telling us their fears and all those kinds of things? Um, and then end of life <clears throat> support. So. I always say parents don't come with a manual on how to talk to their kids about death yeah. and dying. Um, and so <clears throat> helping parents to kind of walk through that process and supporting them through that themselves, mm-hmm. but then also helping them to figure out, <clears throat> okay, so I have a you know, three-year-old and I have a 15-year-old and I have a seven-year-old and my nine-year-old's the one that's passing away. So how do I explain all of that? How do I make sure they all understand what's going on? And then helping them to figure out... Um, their child's coping in the moment, what do their kids need in the moment, what are they going to need in the little bit longer term, um, you know, the next month or so before they can get into grief counseling, um, that kind of thing. And then, <clears throat> not super often, but sometimes we have kids that are awake and alert that are um, passing away. And so if that's the case, then getting to talk with them and walk through that process with them too. Wow. So, so talk about your faith at work. Um, yeah, so... There are definitely times that I get to talk with families or patients um, about my faith. Um, And sometimes it's families that are believers who are just obviously maybe struggling and just need to be reminded of the truth and God's goodness and his grace and that he doesn't change even in our circumstances. Um, And then sometimes it's families that really have, I mean, they're not believers, but there's never any atheist in a foxhole. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what they believe, but they just want somebody praying for them. Right. And so that's kind of neat because at that point I can um, pray with them or talk to them, that kind of thing. And it doesn't happen all the time. It's not like every room I go into, I'm talking to families about it, but there's definitely times where um, the door's just wide open to be able to talk about those things. And um, I think I was telling you the other day, I, I work in critical care now, but for six years I worked on the pulmonary unit. So a lot of those kids had cystic fibrosis, and all of those kids knew from a very young age that they were going to die a lot sooner than their friends. Um, and so that made for some kind of neat conversations. Because that comes up? Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting at a buddy who, he was my patient for probably maybe six years. Um, and sometimes he would just lay in bed and go, I'm just ready, I just want to die. Like, I, And it wasn't like a suicidal thing, it was just, life is tough and like I don't really want to do this anymore so one day he said something about heaven and his back was to me and I said well do you want to know what I believe and he said 
yeah. So I just kind of started like walking through the gospel, but I couldn't see his face. And so I was kind of like, I have no idea what he's thinking or like, and so I kind of stopped. And I said, do you want me to keep talking or you want to talk about something different? And he goes, no, keep talking. Oh, wow. I said, okay. Um, so we kind of kept talking and one of his next submissions, he like comes flying around the corner. He goes, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. <laughs> You want to talk about it again? I was like, all wow. right. And he died about a year ago, and I don't know if he was a believer or not when he died. But um, anyway, and then last week I walked into a room, and this mom just said, Molly, I'm angry. She has no idea what I believe, so I don't know how she yeah. thought I was going to counsel her. But, <laughs> but she said, I'm just angry. She said, I'm just having a day that I'm frustrated with God, and I'm trying to be strong, and I'm just not strong today. And she's like burst into tears. And so we wow. just kind of got to like walk through that and just kind of – I just she had her Bible sitting there, and so I just kind of – Got to point into scripture, so those things do happen, but not not all the time. Sure. It just kind of you know, um, and then it's neat to you because some of the people that I work with are some of my best friends in the whole world, and some of those girls are believers. So it's neat because when I'm struggling, they just point me straight back to Jesus, and when they're struggling, I get to pray with them and point them back to Jesus, and so that's a really sweet thing that I have. And you also talked about so you guys face some very heavy things at work and you talked about a friend that you're not sure she's a believer <laughs> yeah. um, but the opportunity you had with her you want to talk about that at all yeah so uh she works with um i guess the last three or so months has had some really really difficult cases a lot of them are abuse cases um, a lot of the kids haven't made it it's just i don't know what's going on there's just a string of terrible um and she's been the one that's dealing with all those things and as a believer those things are really hard to swallow and then as not a believer they're even harder to swallow um and so one day she texted uh, me and two of, our, two of my best friends that are believers and she said hey we need a powwow this morning so we're like all right so we all went to my office and we had no idea what she wanted or what she's going to talk about and um we sat down we're like what's going on she goes i just need y'all to pray for me mm-hmm. we're like okay great mm-hmm. um and then kind of from there there's been some it, some other opportunities to sort of talk to her about god's goodness and how we know he's good and even in all of this and um, talking about sin and how sin affects everything that's going on and all those kinds of things. And, um, so, anyway, it's, and there's been several people over the years that I've gotten to have just very dear friendships with that aren't believers at work, and I really enjoy that. Just That's cool. Good conversation comes from it a lot well, of times. Well, <clears throat> again, I've been encouraged. I think it's a great model for us in our workplace, wherever that is. I mean, you, you talked about a sense of urgency to want to share Christ with people, but not being frantic. You know, um, waiting on the Lord, believing that He is sovereign and in His providence He'll open doors. And but also being sensitive and and even I think this is where your concern for people at a deeper level, maybe because of what you've gone through, um, you just have radar. And so when people are struggling, you're more apt to probe a little bit. And hey, what's going on? Hey, is there anything you need? Is there any? And I think that's where the open doors come. You know, even with this friend, your love and concern for her, which was obviously evident enough that she invited you to come into a powwow and pray for her. Anyway, I think there's a lot of great things to think about there. All right, so we want to switch gears a little bit. Um, You haven't yet met the man, or maybe you have, but uh, you you aren't yet married to the man that the Lord (laughs) wants you to marry. And you say, you know, I have the potential to be too picky and... I hate that, but you also feel I just haven't met the right person. Mm-hmm. So um, talk about what it's like to be single in our church and uh, in our group specifically where that is the minority position. 
so I think um, I think what I saw you the other day is that I'm not sure there's a lot of difference in you and me or me and any of you. Um, I think God created us all to live in community, and so you need community and I need community, and so. Um, in that aspect, I think it really doesn't look super different um, at all. Like, um, and I don't want it to look different. Like I, the thought of, you know, being kind of segregated into this like little single group, and then all of y'all over here just sounds terrible to me. Um, but also thinking about not having any single friends and just being friends with y'all sounds terrible to me. <laughs> just kidding. But I'm very, very but thankful. <laughs> but um, some of my very best friends in the world have been married for, you know, 10 years and have two or three kids. And some of my very best friends in the world are single and no kids. And... I wouldn't want to live life without either group of friends. I need both, and um, I'm very encouraged by both and challenged by both. And so I'm very thankful to the Lord. And you have, uh, you know, Christian <laughs> friends outside of this church mm-hmm. and great at work at different churches, I mean, different things. But would you say that, I mean, because it really is a minority position in our demographic, have you been able to find community at this church? Yeah, um, I have. I think... <clears throat> And I mean, this class is great. I love it. Um, and I think probably, you know, it's easy to walk in. And if you want to walk into this class and not really get to know anybody, you can slip in, listen to you, and slip back out. And probably convince yourself that everybody in here are best friends and everybody knows everybody, and, you know, um, which is not necessarily true. Um, but I think probably where I found my greatest community is church is in Grace Group. Um, and just having that smaller group of people to where we really are together. And our Grace Group this year started meeting a couple times a month, which has been neat because we're just kind of together more. And, um, <laughs> What's that? Um, and so... Uh, Your Grace Group has inside jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you meet twice a month, you do. <laughs> Did that start after the second? <laughs> um, but anyway, so just getting to be together and... Um, and a smaller group, so you kind of really do know what's going on with each other, um, and praying together, and learning together, and all of those things, um, yeah. I think is really where my sense of community has come from. Well, you said it stronger the other day. You said, Ooh. if it was just Sunday school, probably not. And you're like, I mean, yeah, I mean, true. it's like, I completely agree, <laughs> you know, because um, I think it's designed to be an entry point that hopefully flows into further relationship and um, I think that's a good point I think that's something we need to talk about is the fact that um, to come and go back and not make connection and you know it it could still feel feel very lonely and could still uh, not be home even if coming here every week I think Grace Group's great Um, you know I think that's where some of our more significant relationships have uh, flowed out of is just the people that you're going to see more regularly and in a different setting where the design is to talk more and with one another and that sort of thing. So I want to uh, end with a couple things. To those of you who um, do not have significant relationships <coughs> in the church and don't really care to, um, I would just caution you that uh, you're not meant to go at this thing alone. And, uh, you know, none of us were created for isolation. We are created for community, as she's been talking about. And uh, if you're a Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ. And, you know, the way I was thinking about it this morning is, 
we need each other as much as my hand needs my arm. Um, without it, my hand's not very good. And of course, we have this organic uh, living connection to Christ, but we also need one another in uh, you know, the form of significant relationships. So um, think about that. And then to those of you who don't have significant relationships in our church family, but you do care to, let me encourage you um, to pray about that, uh, that God would give you that, and also to be patient. Um, I think it's easy, if that doesn't come over a period of time, to go somewhere else. And look, there are good reasons to go to other churches, and, and you may have one, and that's fine. But I'm just saying, don't go somewhere else because you never found it here, because then you're really starting back from square one and you're, you're starting all over and you're going to have the same issue. And I would encourage you to put yourself out there um, to try to get to know some folks and even to invite them into your home for dinner if you think, even if you think they should be the ones inviting you into their home. You know, I think that's, uh, it's kind of a counterintuitive thing, but just ways that we can intentionally pursue these relationships that we know are important um, and, and we know we need. I mean, I'm looking at a, a number of people that would say, especially through difficult times in their life, I mean, the relationships with Christians in this group, in this church, have been uh, everything. Molly mentioned grace group. Um, so, you know, if you're not in a grace group, or if that grace group just hasn't been that for whatever reason, I mean, you know, grace groups start over again in September and... Um, I would encourage you to really think about that. Uh, again, many of the significant relationships I have in this church, they flow out of this class, flow out of my grace group, but I think that comes with intentional pursuit of those relationships. And then, lastly, to those of you who do have significant relationships in our church family, uh, God has been kind to you to give the kind of community that we all long for because we're all created for it. Um, I would say this, don't hoard it. Uh, don't keep it to yourself. It is a gift, and it's a gift to be stewarded. It's a gift to be extended to others. Uh, so don't let that gift terminate on you, but spread the wealth to other people. And that radar, you know, have that for people that where grace may not be home for whatever reason. So I think this is one of the areas where our selfishness is really exposed um, big time. You know, community becomes all about us. I need community. And then if I find it, I'm good. But, you know, what about everybody else? And I, I think our concern has to be um, for others above ourselves. And if we're concerned that everyone else find community, we're going to find it too. Because we're seeking to plug them in, and a byproduct of that is, you know, we're in those relationships ourselves. So, as counterintuitive as it may be, don't worry about you finding community. Worry about other people that may not have those significant relationships finding that. And um, even if you do not have those significant relationships at church, be more concerned that other people find it than that you find it, and I think you will find it. Um, in looking for them. So, if you're in a grace group that has good health, or if you're just in a more informal um, group of friends that gets together regularly and it's been a great...
blessing to you. Really, think about it. I mean, don't hoard that. When it gets where we want it, and then, um, you know, maybe the thought of someone else coming in, I think we have this tendency to want to preserve kind of the pH balance, you know, like things we don't want. It just got where we wanted, and we don't want to mess it up. Um, but that's not the way we're supposed to go. I mean, just to always be looking to others, always be thinking in service to others. Um, there are people in our group, Grace Evan, and particularly 20s and 30s, for whom Grace Evan and 20s and 30s doesn't feel like home. And, um, you know, that ought to burden us a little bit. And, and just to be concerned that we could all, because that's encouraging. I mean, you're in a minority position and it hasn't come easy and yet the truth is you have found those significant relationships here so i think it's great anything else you want to say any questions you guys have for molly or for me and what i just said it was that good (laughs) covered it all i got got one question okay what did you study it I studied child development family studies, but that was a very long time ago, and so it looks differently to get into it now. Um, but oh, that, get into it, so. what you say? No, I did, <laughs> but I, I did child development family studies. So, yeah. So, what would you study now to get into that? Uh, there's a lot of schools that have a child life degree now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And um, it's becoming a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. Really? There's no way I could get into it. Do you have now, to like get a master's it? now? Uh, I, I, I think starting next fall, anybody entering freshman year of college in 2017 mm-hmm. will have to go in knowing that they'll have to get their master's. So I will not be one of those because I don't like school. But, Where's that? Um, yes. Good. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for Molly and... Um, Lord, we know that you are the author of her story. You are the author and perfecter of her faith. And it is just so encouraging. We see your grace and your glory on display and how you have cared for her through uh, for what has to be such a tremendous trial for a 12-year-old girl to face. And uh, even as she's grown um, to the woman that she is today, Lord, I know that that has been a trial that has... uh, really challenged her faith in many ways and yet we see your grace on display and we thank you for it. Thank you for um, placing her here and thank you for the blessing that she is to our group. Thank you for the work that you've given her to do. I'm just thinking as she talks, we are all ministers and you have us serving in different capacities and I thank you for the ministry that you've given her to love people in their most vulnerable times and uh, Lord I do pray you continue to open doors to pray with people, uh, to share with people, and um, to serve people that way. Uh, Lord, thank you once again for this time together, and we do pray that you would uh, grow in us a, an outward-looking health in our community that seeks to serve others above ourselves, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How about a hand for Molly? <laughs>